feel real good, all right? Most dope. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. Everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Guys, I I woke up today and I started to like, it, I don't know, it's starting to feel like hockey's actually getting close. And maybe mm. I'm just actually starting to miss it for the first time. Like, for the first time today, I was like, ooh. All right, not too long until we're doing that again. Not too long. So good timing on hockey podcasting. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it felt good to actually want to do this today. Uh, no, I, I, I usually do. Uh, so usually. let's get. We have a jam-packed show for you. So let's get right into it. Let me introduce to you my panel for the evening. Uh, let's start it off with the fly by yourself, Kelly Hinkle. All right. Are we doing this thing now? Uh, uh, no, real, later. I realize no. the format of this is backwards. It's okay. I'll just it. say, why, hey, why, why, don't, why don't you hey, actually intro it before right. we go into this? Yeah, so uh, my hot take. Charlie's we'll, back. We, we sh- yeah, Charlie's Yay. back today. Hey, too. it me. Hey, everybody. So uh, we start every show with just, it, it started out as the hot take segment, and then it just turned into opening monologue segment. And uh, I, I want to get back to the hot take segment, and I want to lead it off with, this is a pro the wave podcast now. Yes, I am so uh, like I don't understand how people get so worked up about seeing the wave. I at one point was like, you know what? I do hate the wave. This is stupid. Mm-hmm. But now seeing how much everyone like freaks out about it, like it's the the reaction to the wave is, oh my god, I can't believe there are Nazis marching in the streets. <laughs> it's like the same goddamn thing. The reaction to the like, so I just the wave is good. This is a pro the wave podcast now. Uh, if you don't like the wave, loosen up. So here's just my get over here's my question for just you. Get over Bill. it. My question is this: How much of this is you actually changing your opinion on the wave, and how much of this is just you seeing that other people are annoyed by it, and you deciding you want to be the contrarian? It's not deciding I want to be the contrarian. I just am. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help that my reaction to seeing all of Twitter in the middle of a Phillies game angry about every now and then people standing up and then sitting down for a few set like I get over it. Yeah, I just, Why are you I, so mad? Yeah, I just don't care. Like, I don't particularly like the wave. If I'm if I'm at a baseball game, I'm not going to to participate in it. But I just don't. Which care. is allowed. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like that's the thing. Like, if you don't like the it's wave, not mandatory participation. You can just stay sitting down, <laughs> drinking your bev. Like, you don't have to stand up. <laughs> no one's gonna get, yell at you. You don't get ejected no. if you stay sitting. I promise. <laughs> it's just like, right. I just, why can't we just let people enjoy things? <laughs> I don't know. Like, people seem to be having fun because you know, forty thousand people do it. So, so I want, I want, know. yeah, I want now from each of you uh, a take on like, the hill you're willing to die on. Just give me a take. Just really hit me with something that you're like, no, I'll go down with this one. So I chose something that I yelled about a lot last season. Um, I think personally that one of your duties as a fan of a sports team when you attend one of their matches is to cheer for the team that you want to win. Even if they're not doing great, you cheer for them and you create an atmosphere in which it is difficult for the other team to play, which the Flyers used to have. It was a thing for a very long time that the center was a difficult building to play in. That's no longer the case because Flyers fans have decided that they are going to go to a hockey game, pay lots of dollars to do that thing, and then pout in their seat because the team isn't doing what they want them to do. Maybe and then a say cheer. it's the team's fault that the atmosphere is terrible. Listen, yes. I get it. This is a mediocre team and has yeah. been for a while, and the, you can kind of get complacent with it. But saying that there's no atmosphere here, oh, my God, we have no home ice advantage anymore. It's there's not exciting arena. going to games. Be the excitement. That's the thing. Like, I, can, I will grant you that the team is boring, and there's not a whole lot to get excited about last season. But you can still cheer. You can make yourself the seventh man. You can make the building exciting. The team has nothing to do with that. That's you guys. So my hill is that you should cheer for your team at a sports match. Yeah, I think it like 
it it comes dangerously close to that you know that whole idea of don't tell fans how to fan. I will do exactly that. But I do think there's there's truth. If to, you're not cheering, you're not being yeah, a fan. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I think there's, you're just there's a guy in a building. I think there's truth to the Poor idea girl. that like you know. Clearly, like, I, I do believe that positive energy does help the team. Yeah. And if you're not providing positive energy, then at least on some minuscule level, you are mildly responsible for the team playing with no energy. And if the team's playing poorly, like, you could cheer about other stuff. I and mean, we just talked about the wave. Do a little Let's do Go the wave. Flyers. Yeah. Have some fun. Try to get oh them my going. God. Can you imagine the conniption? Oh, people would lose their minds. If, if, the, the wooing is one thing. The wave at a hockey game? I think, I think it's, I I think it's like, happened before. I feel like the wave Here? used to happen at Phantoms games in the Spectrum. That, that's I, a, that yeah. seems like a minor league thing. Yeah, I, I feel like it used to happen there, but that, I don't know that I've seen it at a Flyers I, game. Can you imagine, like... What, serious hockey yeah. boys would lose their oh, mind. Oh, absolutely would they lose their like mind. Like, dude yeah. in a Pelly Lindbergh jersey. Try and watch the game. Like, sit down. Oh, my God. People should start the wave at a game this year. If I go to a game, I'm starting the wave. I just, I, I do think there's truth to the idea that, like, you paid to go to the game to have fun. Have Obviously, fun. ideally, the team provides the fun. But if the team isn't providing the fun, then I don't know. Try to have fun some other way. We, yeah, we kind of, I think when we talked about it once, we equated it to being like at a concert. Like you feed off the energy of the band, the band feeds off the energy of the crowd. It's like a reciprocal thing. So perhaps if we provide a little bit of energy to the team, they will feed off of that energy and do a little bit better. I don't know. I, I, as an avid concert goer, I definitely boo, boo bands when they don't play the songs I want them to play. <laughs> All the time. I just see, I, if, if it's the opening band, I yell just the hits. <laughs> Let's go. Just the hits. Let's go. Come on. Get through this. Don't care about your B-sides. What was your take, Charlie? Did you actually say it? Oh, no, no I have oh. not. So uh, so my take, and I, I don't I think this is something we've talked about briefly on the show. It might might be more of like an ice sport topic than, than BSH Radio, but my hot take of Hill that I'm willing to die on, which is one that I think Philadelphia fans... They, they reflexively disagree with, but they are more of this than they want to admit they are. Yeah. Bandwagon fans are a good thing. Very and, good. And here's why. Number one, everyone starts out a bandwagon fan. I'm sorry. Like, unless you literally, from the age of three, like, you grew up with a bottle and then your 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 hand on the remote control watching television because your parents basically decided you're going to be a sports fan of this particular team. Otherwise, you probably jumped on a bandwagon. And then you know what happened? You liked it. And then you kept following the team. And I don't like at all the idea of people basically pointing and laughing at new fans. Don't you want your sport, especially hockey, like football, things like that, everybody, you know, you have a, you either like football or you don't at this no. point. It's a gigantic sport, but we we complain about hockey isn't big enough. You know, hockey isn't popular enough. We wish this great game had more people into it, and then we laugh at bandwagon fans. Like that's how you get new fans. The team a, a team is good. A new fan is like, hey, I like that good and fun team. I'm going to start following them. Don't laugh at them. Be happy that new fans are getting into hockey. And second, speaking specifically to Philadelphia, like. I actually believe we did talk about this on Ice Sport, but you know what was awesome about when the Phillies were really good in you know the the 2007 through 2011. What was awesome is that Citizens Bank Park was packed and it was rocking. And I guarantee you, it was not packed full of however many people fit in that ballpark that were fans yeah. from the age of three. I, yep. I, it, I know it wasn't. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, you know, like, it was fun and. If if making an arena fun and making going to games the most fun involves bringing in fans that don't necessarily care about the team every year of their lives, I am totally on board for that because you know what? An exciting jump in arena is a lot of fun, and it's a lot of fun for the environment. It's a lot of fun for the atmosphere. So why am I going to get mad when someone's like, yeah, I want to go to a Phillies game, I want to go to a Flyers game, I want to go to a Penguins game, a, a Maple Leafs game because the team's good? You know what? That makes the atmosphere better for everybody. Why would I get mad about it? Yeah, why should anybody get mad about it? And why would anybody spend money on a bad... That's the other thing. That's like, very true. Like, why would anyone spend money on a bad team? Why would I throw money away? Like, I'm not going to pay it. I'm not going to buy a ticket to watch the Florida Panthers. Like, I'm just not going to do it. It's just there's this there's this holier-than-thou attitude yeah. from longtime fans that, like, if you're a new fan, you're not fan enough. And it's like everyone started somewhere. Rather than push those people away, bring them in. And, like, especially in hockey where 
Like, no one's parents grew up playing or watching the game. Especially like, well, a, in this like, area. Yeah, like, I'm a first-generation <laughs> hockey fan. Like, below the Mason-Dixon line, they didn't get hockey till like, 1985. Yeah. Like, so, you know. Everyone's a new fan. Everyone's a new fan. <laughs> unless they're migrants. Like, and that's it. I have a bonus hot take I just Ooh. remembered. hey um, This whole chicken sandwich thing that's going around. Oh, God. I just got to remind everyone that Chick-fil-A's food is the worst. Why do you want to eat <laughs> wet chicken? Is it Their wet? chicken sandwich is so bad. It's just shit. It's just the worst. I don't understand why anyone likes Chick-fil-A. Yeah, but if any of you... It my mind. Have either of you had the Popeye's one yet? Yeah. Is it good? It's real good. It looks really fucking good. <laughs> I love Popeye's. I mean... This is a pro Wendy's podcast for as long as I'm on it, yeah. so I'm, oh, I'm, I'm always I'm always standing for any food from Wendy's, Wendy's except for the fries. Fries are well. eh. yeah, their fries are they're problematic. Yeah, they're they're not ideal. My I think my <laughs> my like dream fast food like pig out meal would be a Wendy's burger, Wendy's nuggets, McDonald's fries, and then you know we'll throw we'll throw Burger King a bone and give them the onion rings. Okay. Ah. I, I just, if I, like, I have to limit my fast food because, like, I make no healthy choices in life <laughs> And, like, you can't get drunk or high off of fries, so I'm just like, I don't need to go with fast food. You gotta but, save those calories yeah, for important things. Yeah, so, <laughs> but if I could, like, I'd go double quarter pounder with cheese, large fries, and a 10-piece McNugget for McDonald's. I'd go all three. Okay. And the lives. Coke, because the Coke is, oh my god. They keep the uh, they keep the syrup in the refrigerator. Oh yeah, they don't don't they do different. weird things for their coke to like yeah. maximize the sugar and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's so good. All right. Anyway, let's talk about the uh, hockey team, the Flyers. Oh, yeah. That team. So we're gonna start uh, with more top twenty five, under twenty five guys. Uh, I actually didn't even go back and look at last week's list, so I don't remember who we left off with. But we have a tie. For the 17th spot here, uh, Tanner Lazinski and Samuel Ersan. Ersan is the, uh, he's a Russian goalie, right? No. no. Swedish. 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 Who am I? I'm thinking of the other one. Well, I mean, there's Ustamenko, but Ustamenko. he's like not also Ustamenko. kind of Belarusian. Yeah, not Ustamenko. There's another, isn't that? Fedotov? Fedotov. That's the one. All yeah, right. I, I don't think he's relevant, but, but anyway. No, he's, he's not at all. He's not the least bit relevant. But Tanner Lazinski is. He's a guy, I feel like I've been hearing his, how long is he, like, I feel like I've been hearing his name forever. I want to say just, the, I want to say the 2006 draft, but maybe, yeah, it had to have been 2006, right? Or, or 2016. 2016 16, okay, yeah. so it's yeah. been a couple of years. He's I been hanging around. When are we going to get a look at, like, some of these guys? I, I just... I feel like I've been waiting on yeah, a Tanner Lazinski for a decade now. So this to me is interesting because it kind of leads into like a philosophical question about how you do these lists. And as we've talked about for years, there really is no wrong floating, or right way to do yeah. these lists. But somebody like Lazinski is interesting to me because it, I, I think he's going to be an NHL player. I, I think I now what his ceiling is is up for debate, but I think he could jump in and be a decent fourth liner right now. The question is, is that on a list like this, do you penalize a guy like Lazinski because it's unclear if he will ever play for the Flyers because yeah. he hasn't signed yet, and if he doesn't sign next summer after his senior year, he's gone. I mean, that does factor in for me, just because I'm thinking of this as the Flyers top twenty five under twenty five. And if if someone's very clearly not going to crack this lineup simply because there's just no room for them because they're not quite good enough to make room for themselves. It factors in a bit for me. Yeah, he just I think I Charlie I think Charlie put it well in that like because it's that floating criteria, like, yeah, it looks like he's a decent player uh at Ohio State and it's going to like that exact uh, production might translate. Like, maybe he's a 30-point player in the NHL. It's like, all right, so he's a 30-point NHLer. It's something you can write down. But uh, there's so many guys with potential, and when you say, okay, he's a really good third-liner, well, we have an organization full of really right. good third-liners. Yeah. So, like, I, you know, it's I, it's it's one of those questions with these lists. How about Urson? It's tough to group the goalies because they all play at these different levels in different leagues. It's really tough to rank the goalie. He's exciting though. Like he's just, yeah. he's exciting just because he did so well in the, uh, in the second tier Swedish league. And he did well at world juniors uh, last year too. So it's kind of one of those deals. Like we've always talked about Felix Sandstrom, this idea that, you know, well, the, the athleticism's there. He's an intriguing prospect because you watch him at development camp and he makes these ridiculous saves and he's got, all the talent, but the numbers really have never been there. Well, Samuel Urson, basically in his first year after being drafted, the numbers weren't just there. 
The oh, numbers wow. were unreal. Yeah. Nine thirty-three save percentage. Uh, 195 goals against. I almost said ERA there. Uh, <laughs> Either way. In uh, what, what's this? 36 games. Yeah, I mean the kid. The kid can play. It looks like. And and, and that's not like still so, found these goalies. Like the man. way the way the Swedish league the Swedish leagues work. And I, I believe uh, Johan did a really good piece on BSH a few weeks ago about this. But like that that's not Swedish junior hockey. That's a men's league. Yeah. Like that's professional hockey. It's just basically like the AHL of you know of the of the Swedish hockey system, except you can actually there's relegations, you could jump up if you're good and whatnot. And he dominated. Like he didn't go into that season with any expectation of being the starter, and he was just so good that he basically took the job and had a like what was really a historically great season in that league. So now he's gonna come into this season, his draft plus two year, very possibly having a significant part of the starting job for an SHL team and I don't he hasn't even turned 20 yet. I think he turns 20 in a couple months. So if he excels there and you know obviously we're going to have to wait and see. You never know when a guy takes a jump up another level, but if he excels there too, then you've got very possibly one of the better goaltending prospects in hockey. And that's I mean obviously the Flyers have Carter Hart, so you know, having another amazing goalie prospect, you know, what do you do with them? There's only so many spots. But having another great goalie prospect isn't a bad thing. And that's, listen, we're going to need a backup at some point. Brian Elliott uh, can't play forever. They're, well, no, <laughs> he can try. Yeah, no, it's uh, you all know I respect Brian Elliott. Don't really love him on this team, but what else were they going to do, I guess? Um, no, but even if he is nothing like another guy who never cracks this lineup when i see a, an elite goalie prospect i just think all right if we're all in on winning that is something you can build a trade package around yep like that i will get to those Meltzer articles in a little bit but basically it was just like uh his breakdown of the coaching staff uh, he wrote three pieces on uh on Terry and Yo and then uh Vigneault, and every single one of them like they couldn't it was like they were on like doing the meow competition but saying winning like they all just kept stressing <laughs> we're here to win we're gonna win we're it's all about winning. Oh, I'm well, glad they're not here for the other reasons. No, but <laughs> I'm glad it's not about building something. Yeah. And, like, I'm glad. And if we're all in on winning, because that's what I'm being told, that means we might actually start to move some of these pieces. And when I see, when Charlie says this is an elite goalie prospect, well then, you know what that means? That 3RW spot is going to get filled halfway through the season with an elite player. Well, to clarify, and I, I, no. I do want to clarify, I he's not an elite goalie prospect yet. I know. But if in his age 20 season he is a like has like a 9-16, 9-17 save percentage in the SHL at age 20, then yeah, then he absolutely yeah. is. So this is a big year for him, but he had a really, really good year last year, and that... And to me, that just can't be ignored. Uh, you know, when you have that good of a season against men, I was going to say, especially in a league. men's league, that always yeah. factors in for me when these guys are playing in the men's leagues in, in Europe. They're playing against adults. They're not in juniors or in college playing against kids. I think it, it, you know, it's good to think about that a little bit when you're ranking these guys. Coming in at 16, this year's second round pick. Great name, Bobby Brink. Bobby. This is this guy. The more I see and read and watch this, uh, see and read about this guy and watch this guy, the more exciting it becomes. He looks like just a point producer, man. Just someone who can just put a put up numbers on the score sheet. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, he seems pretty good. I have this weird thing where, like, whenever we get to the kids that we just drafted in the summer ranking, it's hard for me just because we. We haven't seen enough, in my opinion, for them to to kick off some of the guys that have been here longer that we, we kind of are m- more like known quantities. Like, even though I feel like Brink definitely is going to be something, whenever I rank these guys in the summer, I don't I don't know. For some reason, the just drafted guys always fall low for me. It depends. Like when like Cam York, I have very high. Yeah. Uh, but Brink is just kind of. It, yeah, it's. Tough to put a, a brand new second round pick in over like Albe Kubel and Vorobiev might not be close to what Brink is going to be, but right. I know that they can at least like they they've already stepped foot in the NHL. The potential like, is so high. How do yeah, you, like yeah, I and, mean for for me, I find it much easier to put somebody like Brink over those two guys just because. Mm-hmm. 
it, we, we've talked about, I feel like ad nauseum, about how many bottom six prospects the Flyers have. Yeah. And I look at somebody like Brink, and I guess there's a there should be a distinction made because the classic reason why Kelly's strategy can make sense is somebody like Jay O'Brien. You know, Jay O'Brien, he gets drafted, he's a first-round pick. People are excited about him because he's a first-round pick. And then his draft plus one year is a goddamn disaster. And now Kelly looks smart for not buying into the Kool-Aid <laughs> right away. Somebody like Brink, though, like... I had him graded as like my 20th or 21st favorite prospect going into the draft. So for me, yeah, he was a second round pick, but I'm almost viewing him in my personal opinion as a first round pick because that's what I thought he was. And he just happened to slip out of the first round. So for me, it's like I'm I'm easily putting him over guys like Vorobiev, Vorobiev, Kubel, both of whom I like, but both of whom I see as nothing more than third liners if they hit their ceiling. Yeah, that's fair. And... Those two came in just ahead of Bobby Brink. Uh, we had Vorobiov at 15, and at 14, Nicholas Albe-Cubell. And I, I'm just kind of glancing through them because we talk about them a lot, but I want to put it in the context of this next topic, the third-line wing spot that we believe is open to you know pretty much everybody in the organization, yeah, it right. seems. In the world. Uh, I always want to call him Dave Meltzer because that's the name of a, a wrestling journey. Of course, it's, of course it's wrestling. It's, it's Bill Meltzer. <laughs> uh, he, Bill actually did some uh, some work in the wrestling industry as well, and it's funny. Oh, did he? I didn't yeah. know. Uh, I knew he liked so wrestling. I knew he liked wrestling. wrestling. I didn't realize he was yeah, involved. There's, there's a ton of crossover. It's oh. very strange. Huh. Uh, listen to uh, Smarks and Stripes podcast on Radio.com. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so he, uh, he's been putting out this series of, uh, of articles about who could potentially fill that third line wing spot that we see is that real glaring hole in this uh, in our offensive lineup right now, and you know he talked he's talked about the young guys he's talked about Frost and Farabee and uh, Rubstov and we've talked about all of them, but it seems to be uh, Albe Kubel's picking up some steam here, and I'll say Vorobiev maybe too. Just in I know he's a center, but maybe someone just to take that spot. So I didn't get a read. I didn't get a real super positive read for the Flyers this summer about Albe Hubel making the team. But that doesn't mean he can't. That just means I think that they weren't as... I just don't think they were super hyped up about his season. I, I don't think they I don't think they thought he had a bad year, but I think they were hoping for him to have a better year. Either establish himself as an NHL or, or really kill it in the AHL. And instead, he kind of just repeated his year before, which... To be fair, very good year. So, like, all he really did was just do what he did the previous year again in the AHL, except he got a nine-game stint in the NHL and got five minutes a night, so whatever. But I get the feeling that they were sort of hoping he was going to take a step forward, and because he didn't, now he's just kind of like, all right, well, you better take that step forward in camp, which... Vorobiev did last year, so that it, it, there is precedent, granted, under a different organization, but there is precedent for guys who maybe don't necessarily come in with the most momentum, and then they just up and kill it, and they make the team. So that's there. I just don't... I, I You weren't hearing them mention Albeq Bell a lot. Like, the first time okay. I got confirmation from one of them that... Albe Cubell had a shot was when I specifically asked Flair, my one-on-one, about Albe Cubell. Like, there are multiple times in the weeks leading up to that when we were asking Fletcher and Flair about who has a chance. And Albe Cubell's name was never coming up. Like, they just weren't even mentioning hmm. him. So that, it just, it raises some red flags for me. And it's disappointing because I want to see Albe Cubell on this team. I like him. Even to me, even if he makes his team as, a, as an extra forward. I want him on this team. I want him in this rotation. I just don't know... I don't know if he's fighting against some some headwinds here. That's I wanted to uh, like obviously Frost and Farabee. These are highly touted guys that have had you know stud type seasons uh, in previous levels. Um, but other than like the headliners, do you get the impression that guys like these previous regime holdovers are all kind of fighting that same thing, or is it just NAK because of he wasn't very good last year? You know, it's tough to say. And as, as I said, I don't think he, I don't, I don't think conjecture. he wasn't very good. He just didn't get a lot better, and that's what I believe they were hoping for. Vorobiev, I thought, had a more disappointing season than Aubrey Kubel did. But I, I don't know. There's They mentioned his name a little bit more, and again, this could mean nothing. This could just be, you know, they just happened to have that guy's name on the tip of their tongue because they just talked about him in a meeting two hours before, and then they went out to talk to the media. But I, I tend to think that especially when they're 
you know, on the record talking about prospects, there's a lot of message sending there. Yes. I think that's very intentional. And when guys get left out and when guys get brought in, there's a generally speaking a reason why. Mm-hmm. And okay. Vorobiev was included, which was interesting to me because I wasn't sure where he stood in the organization. And it seems like he's going to be very much in the mix. He just has to have another really good camp. Which is interesting because he kind of blew it every time he came up. Sort of did. That's, Which yeah. is a reason where I'm like, I I know that the potential is there, but at this point, given how many other options there are, I'm kind of over him. That's, because he bl- he had the chance and he blew it. I won't say I'm over him, but I was so, di- like, after so the, disappointed. After his first two regular season games, like, you can't always see when a guy is playing poorly or like, oh, he didn't really have the, like, he just had no jump. He just had nothing special about him whatsoever when he was out there after those first two games. Like, he was so excited to be there. He did his job. Like, hey, we found something. One of these Hextall guys really working out. Oh, okay. Yep, that's over with. But the name now that's uh, that's been bandied about on the uh, on the old Twitter machine the last 24 hours or so about that three-wing spot, Tyler Pitlick starting to gain some momentum. Uh, it's a great It is name. a good name. <sighs> it's a great name. Um, and Charlie has some things. I don't hate it, but it's just more of, all right, whatever. Like, it's just a little bit more of, man, I really want something to get excited. Like, even if it's freaking Rubstov. It's someone I haven't seen be like you yeah. know like. But I guess we haven't seen Pitlick. We either, haven't but. seen Pitlick, but he's been in the league for four or five years. Like he's just some guy. I he's had one full season by what the one full season he had in uh, Dallas. Yeah, eighty games, fourteen goals, twenty seven points. So that's good production. Cool. That's good production. Can he do that again? I'd like to see it. I just it doesn't excite me. That's doesn't excite me. Yeah, the the point I made in the outline, I'll I'll, I'll echo it here just so the listeners can hear. <laughs> but it's basically that this, like my big problem with the idea of Pitlick as that final person in the top nine, it's just that you know fair or not, whether it's fair to him, whether it's fair to the organization, it, it essentially sig- would signal to both the fans and I think the players too that the Fletcher era is basically just. The Hexall era with a few more trades because that's like Tyler Pitlick being the final person in the top nine to start of the season. Like that's a Ron Hextall decision. Yep. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a, a very it, hockey man. It's choice. a very Ron Hextall decision because, well, you know, Morgan Frost needs some time to get used to the pace of professional hockey and Joel Farrow, he needs to bulk up a little bit. And German Rubsoff only played 14 games pro last year so. You know, we'll just use Pitlick for a while, and when one of those guys bangs the door down, or when somebody gets hurt, they'll get the call. It's just, it's, it's so much more of the same, and that's the way it's gonna be taken by the fans. That Pitlick could be fine there, but I'm just rooting for that not to play out because I know what the reaction's gonna be. Especially yeah. if the kids have great camps, like yeah, if they, or if they're lights out in camp, and then they end up going with Pitlick because it's safe. Like that is just. It's just a frustrating choice because there is fun to be had if they just let themselves have it. Yeah, and I very much want to see some kid win yeah. this freaking spot. I'm so tired of waiting for kids. I get. I, I Even like the stuff that annoys me that Charlie just said, I understand it. I understand wanting to get half an AHL season out of some of these guys. Like, all right, let's just make sure, all right? Like... They're not going to get overdone. There's no, you know, you're not going to burn them in the oven. It'll be fine. But it's just, come on. We understand the potential here, right? Like Tyler Pitlick, I'm hoping for 14 goals. That, like, oh, come on, get me those 14 goals. Yeah. It's like, all right. Like Morgan Frost could run his own power play unit, maybe. That would be fun, you know? <laughs> and I do think, you know, one of the things that, that Bill said, to, to make it clear, Bill made it clear when he was saying that this was him speculating. Oh yeah, and this, that, that these... this was this was basically this wasn't him because there are times where Bill will say something and like he doesn't say either way whether it's just him speculating or not. And what it really is is that he heard from someone in the organization and they basically were like, "You can speculate on this." Now that might be the case here, but he made it pretty clear as like, "Look, this is my gut feeling that Tyler Pitlick, if I had to choose, would be the guy I would say is going to fill out the top nine. So this isn't necessarily what is going to happen, but. It's just Bill's a smart dude, and he's pretty plugged in. And if he's throwing this out there, he wouldn't be just throwing it out there just to throw it out. No, that's the thing. When it comes from the the official mouthpiece of the team, it's kind of hard to ignore it. 
Like, it has to be a thing. Oh, yeah. Whether it's just him speculating or not, because he is who he is, there's going to be... There's some like seed Charlie's, of something somewhere. Like when Charlie was talking about when members of the organization talk about, uh, you know, talk about prospects to the media on the record, they send some messages. Subliminal as it may be, this is something. Like, it's not like there's zero to it. That's how I'm taking it. My, it could just be him going, you know what, I heard, you know, uh, they're kind of high on this guy. And he starts speculating that he's going to get that spot. But, uh, man, yeah, it's it, it would be very Hextall-ish for just, hey, random guy who's played some games in the NHL wins it, rather than one of our, like, prospects you've been hearing about and getting nuts over his gifts yeah and the thing that kills me too is that because one of the things that bill was saying as justification for why he thought pitlick might get this job is basically that well do you really want froster farabee froster farabee to be used as the ninth you know the, the four getting the ninth most minutes you know in the top nine not on power play two like do you really want him that or do you really want him getting you know getting top minutes in the AHL and developing there. And I guess my response to that is this. If one of those guys makes a team, there's no, there's nothing that says he has to be used on the third line. Yep. You could use him on the first line, and then you just push people down. Yeah. Like, when, when I say the open spot in the top nine, I don't necessarily mean whoever wins that has to be the third line wing. You can put them on the second line. No, Morgan Frost. You can put them. Out, yeah. yeah, you can put them on the power play. If Frost comes out and has a hat trick in every preseason game, guess what, Travis Konechny? You're on the third line. Yeah, exactly. Now. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's just the way it is. And not thinking of it that way is back to that Hextall shit where you have a role, and this is the three wing box. And if you don't fit into that box because you're actually better than that, well, we can't have you on the team. And that like too good. No, if it was fourth line minutes, like yeah, okay, I get it. He's not. We're not. We, we don't want. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm with you there. 100%. We don't need Morgan Frost killing penalties, no. blocking shots, and shit. Yeah, I get and it. getting seven minutes. But like, that. yeah, third line minutes in the NHL. I, if he yeah. helps the team. Like, I, I can definitely yes, live development with that. is cool, and we want to make sure guys are ready. But even if he's not fully developed, but being the ninth most used winger. Makes us a really good team. Why wouldn't you want that? Also, like I the, said we're all in on it winning, right? The idea that he can't get any development on the third line of an NHL hockey team is absurd to me. I hate, yeah, I, mean, I hate the AHL seasoning bullshit. If he is good enough to be an NHL player, he's good enough to be an NHL player. There's no amount of AHL time that's going to make him more of an NHL player. He can have his development in the NHL. It's not unheard of. Yeah, and, and this does also boil down to the fact that like these guys do have to have good camps. Yeah, you know, oh, if, yeah, absolutely. If, if these guys yeah, have, yeah, yeah. If these guys have, you know, if, if if Frost repeats last year's camp where he just doesn't look like he's up to the pace, mm-hmm. and if Farabee's getting knocked around in the corners and just is getting kind of the shit kicked out of him, then, you know, I won't love it, but I can accept Tyler Pidlick as the third-line wing. But, if he's the best, yeah, yeah, if he's the best one, okay. Yeah, but if, if one or more of these guys has a really good camp, and then you send him down anyway... It really does throw, you kind of hinted at this, Bill, it throws into question the idea that, like, winning is what matters. Yeah. As I said, because as I said, then it goes back to this feels like Ron Hextall with a few more traits. Yeah, and that's that's what's bothering. And that's why we talked about this being something because Meltzer, you know, tweeted it and he wrote all the articles. And the one I have linked here is the one where he talks about Pitlick, I guess. But, um... Just the idea, like, I don't it just bothers me. I oh, yeah, for it's sure. It's bothering a lot of people. Now, <laughs> the idea that he's saying it now, like, in the circumstance you laid out, like the scenario that the young kids just come in and don't look like they can do it. Sure, Tyler Pitlick, awesome. Yeah. Throw him in there. Yeah. Way to go. Dude scored 14 goals two years ago. You can sell me on that. Saying it now is like, oh, he's in the lead. Like, it's already yeah. predetermined. Like, I should he be, though? That's just what's bothering me. We're going to take a quick second for an ad break, and we will come right back and kind of get more into this idea of fan excitement heading into the season. All right, and we are back now, and uh, we've had – I just talked a lot. I I opened the show saying how excited I am for hockey season to start, and that last segment really brought me down. Talking about (laughs) Tyler Pitlick. to inform you, we are no longer excited. Tyler Pitlick is the missing piece in our top nine. Uh, Now, listen, camp will play out, and that'll be that, and we'll see, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, cool. 
cool. All right, so uh, Charlie once has actually. I like when you go into the uh, like the op-ed here. Like uh, you want to talk about the fan excitement coming into the season. Yeah, I think it's I think it's an important conversation to have because I think, and there are a couple levels I want to talk about it because number one, I want to make sure that my read is the correct read. It might not be. You know, this is just kind of what I've been seeing and what I've been you know people I've been talking to, but. My read about the 2019-2020 the Philadelphia Flyers season, which will start in about two months, my read is that despite the Kevin Hayes, Matt Niskanen, Justin Braun acquisitions, despite the fact that the team will be coached by someone not named Dave Haxtell, despite the fact that presumably we're going to get a full year of Carter Hart franchise savior, that fans aren't especially pumped about the Philadelphia Flyers hockey team. That's my read. And I guess my first question is, is it accurate? Because this could heavily be influenced by social media, which we all spend too much time on, sure. and Twitter has turned yourself. relentlessly negative over the last <laughs> year and really hasn't died down. But to me, like even when I have conversations with people that aren't on social media, it's you know, you know, well, what do you do? I'm a flyer, you know, I cover the flyers. Like, oh, well, that's cool. Like, they're pretty crappy. Like, just there just isn't, and this is from like the people in Philadelphia. There just doesn't seem to be basically any buzz around this team and and are you guys getting the same the same I read? very much agree yes. um i i think like last year man i was so in i really thought yeah we're turning the corner here we go and it just did not happen like if this team comes out and wins the first three games here i am mr flyer guy <laughs> but like as a fan at this very moment i'm optimistic but i'm not like yeah going to the cup i'm just yeah you know, the season will start, and hopefully it goes well. I think it will. I like all the things they did. Like, I do think there's a lot. Like, you mentioned the Hayes, Niskanen, and Braun acquisitions. There's a lot of people out there who are just like, they're bad. That's the thing. Like, they're not they're even actually, just They're actually not ex- three bad players. Yeah. Like, what? Not okay. even not excited. They're like, yeah. this is bad. They actively they made worse. the team yeah. worse. And it's like, what? I don't. Did, is that right? did you watch last year? I don't think that happened. <laughs> Adding literally anyone would make them like, better. I, I, like for some reason, there's a whole like a large swath of people who think Kevin Hayes is like a garbage hockey player, that, and it, he should have who should not at all be near a second line, and who's been overpaid by like seventeen million dollars over the course of his contract. It's like maybe he's good. So Kelly, have you kind of? But have you gotten the same read that that this this apparent lack of excitement yeah, for in sure. the Philadelphia market as a whole and then Flyers fans in particular. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, there's... Even if you look at, like, NBC Sports Philadelphia, the same company that owns the actual hockey team, <laughs> there's, like, nothing coming out of them content-wise about the Flyers, which are about a month well, out I of mean, starting. Well, I mean, Jordan Hall and... Every um, now and again, he's yeah, been putting yeah, stuff they're, out. They're doing stuff. They're doing but stuff. But it's, it, it's, there's definitely not a buzz at all that that's my read as well yeah so okay so now that we've established that we're all in agreement that there doesn't seem to be a lot of fan excitement here's the second question this to me is the the more interesting one because it's very open-ended if there isn't fan excitement is that legitimately bad news for the flyers organization as a whole because you know wasn't this offseason supposed to be the offseason that got people pumped about being Flyers fans again like what what are the implications here and and I'm not saying this necessarily to criticize the moves but I'm just saying that this summer was supposed to get people excited again that doesn't seem to have happened now what now you have to win because that's yeah I think a lot of people thought that this offseason was going to be the Phillies going out and getting Bryce Harper like and a whole bunch of other pieces too. Like right now, I'm wearing a fanatic headband. I'm it's wearing true. it because I saw Bryce Harper wearing it. <laughs> there ain't nobody on the Flyers that I see them wearing a headband. I'm gonna go out and get it. If they start selling gritty headbands, I'm gonna get it. <laughs> Regardless, uh, no, like I do. I think people were ready to be excited. And then when the biggest move, like, listen, I think they made good moves and improved the team, but there wasn't an Eric Carlson. And Carlson ended up not hitting the freaking market, so right. it's not like we can criticize them for that specifically. But I'm saying, like, if people, all people wanted was to go back, hey, what's the shiniest toy? We need it. Go back to the old days of Bobby Clark just buying shit, whatever. Jeremy Roenick's available. We're getting him. That. 
but, and it didn't happen. But the thing that really bothers me it about that yeah. is that what you're talking about, the, the strategy that you're describing, never, ever worked. And while it was happening, we were all bitching about it. Yes. And the fact of the matter is going out and getting the best player available on the market might not have been what the Flyers needed to improve overall. Sometimes making some you know, chess moves that aren't sexy are going to be what makes the team better. And I think that if you are looking at the team compared to last season and you're saying, yes, without question, this team is worse than it was before, like you're out of your mind. Like it's simply not factually accurate. And if you are insisting on being that negative about it, despite what's actually in front of your face, like I don't really know how you fix that person (laughs) unless you're, you know, winning all of the games heading into like April. No, and that's I think the only way. The now, only way now, yeah. yeah the only way to get yeah. those people back is to win hockey games, yeah, and not just like to get a certain portion of this fan base back. It ain't going to be about winning games in November. No, you have to win a playoff series to get people excited again. And I don't. I, and not even that. They they need to win out of the gate. Like, yes. we can't have another oh, slow start. See, if there's another slow start, they're fucked. See, that's the thing that really scares me, because I am very worried there's going to be another slow start. And I am I'm cautiously optimistic that this team is going to make the playoffs, because I think there's enough good things going on, and the Metro is weak enough that I think they will ultimately get in. But they're breaking in a new coaching staff. They're starting out the season in Europe. Then they're going to friggin'... Vancouver going on a West Coast trip right after. Like, this is setting, and and it's a team that year after year has started out slow. Yeah. I mean, this is setting up for another slow start. And that that kind of goes back to one of my concerns here is I, I 100% agree with you that in the end, the, the moves they made were moves they felt improved the team. And it was by not doing anything flashy, their bet is that it, it's it's the idea of you know it's it, this was a concept in Moneyball basically the idea that if we start winning games people are going to show up and they're not going to be mad that we let Jason Giambi go because our next star will be the next Jason Giambi and the fans will stay because they're winning and that's fine but it's a gamble because then if the team doesn't win then what happens because yep. then you had no excitement. And then what do you do? You go to like negative excitement <laughs> because I think there's a decent chance there could be a slow start. And I think if even if there is a slow start, I think they probably turn it around. But I could very easily see a slow start. And if there's a slow start, this this like non-existent buzz quickly turns into active like the. You know, there's already people that are angry, but if oh, they yeah. get off to a poor October, God, this is going to get really bad. Yeah, like that's the thing is, I'll get angry when it's time to get angry. If you're like mad at the team right now, like, come on, dude, just go to the beach or something. Yeah, <laughs> settle down. Like, like, if they start out zero three, I'll come in here yelling, and screaming, <laughs> and cursing. Like, obviously, that's what I do. But like, it's your thing. You can't be mad right now. I think there's one way to combat it, though, Charlie. Uh-oh. What if another mascot? Okay. <laughs> what if, Don't give them what any idea. Gritty had like an evil purple twin. Oh God! <laughs> and what would an evil Gritty be like? like he would have to do murders. <laughs> it's like the only way he gets more evil. <laughs> Either that or like evil Gritty is actually like kind. Yeah, like, yeah, right. Like, yeah, it's, Bizarro this Gritty. This is my evil twin. <laughs> it's like helping old ladies up, <laughs> up the stairs and shit. Like that would be awesome. To get back to the the third wing thing, though, like this is kind of why I think it's important for one of these kids to make the team because that does give some instant excitement I think to people that pay attention to the team. It definitely would give excitement to a degree but it again and this until is, it's Rubstav over Farabee and people will be just as mad yeah, cause I'll be pumped because I'll get to say the germ the, over oh, and over go. again. Oh, but no, I, I mean the hard <laughs> truth is is that if anybody wins that spot that's not named Joel Farabee or Morgan Frost people are going to be either somewhere between disappointed and pissed. Yeah. So there's that, but yeah, it's just it's just a tough situation all around because I mean, I guess the counter argument is you know the Phillies did all the stuff in the offseason, yeah. right? You know they they get Bryce Harper, they get like four other players, they went and spent boatloads of money. They did everything that your your average reactionary sports talk radio fan and wanted, then what wanted happened? To do. And they're two and, out of the wild card. And, no, but no, but like so the the start of the year was great. The place yeah. was packed. Everybody was excited. The team was winning. When they started not winning, what happened? People stopped caring. 
Like it was, there was like a two or three week period where people were just angry, which in a way isn't bad because at least it's people caring. Yeah. But then people just stopped coming to games. And even now that the team is doing a little bit better, you know, there's still a lot of empty seats in CBP oh, again. Absolutely. Definitely nowhere, yeah. no, way more than there were in uh, in April and May yeah. when everybody was super pumped and on the Bryce Harper high. So you can make the argument that, you know, even if the Flyers had went out and done all the flashy things, if they weren't winning it wouldn't have mattered two months down the road. No, if they're out of the, like, if you look at the standings on at, at Christmas and they're not in the playoffs, people aren't excited about the, your, your new shiny toy. Yeah, anymore. like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you got yeah. Eric Carlson. If the team's still bad, then then we're just going to blame Eric Carlson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Spent all this money on this bum. <laughs> still believe, out of the playoffs. Can't believe oh Eric Carlson didn't want to come to Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So uh, this was um, so this was a tweet from Jason Mertidis. We're going to switch gears here. That was just a beautiful segue. It was. I liked uh, it. <laughs> we have this uh, from Jay Mert from Jason Mert uh, on Twitter. Jason friend of the Mertides. pod. Yeah, friend of the pod. <laughs> I ch- he says I checked in with someone in the know and was told Konechny is getting very close. Uh, likely a bridge deal around two to three years, about four and a half uh, average annual value. Provorov is stalled completely because the RFA market is also stalled. Agents and players playing the waiting game, and no one wants to sign first. So we'll start at the top there. Travis Konechny, it's getting close. Looks like a uh, short-term deal for about $4.5 million. Predictable. This yeah, was one of the... This is kind of what I think reasonably would be assumed is what the deal was. Which is awesome because every response I saw to it on Twitter was pissed off. Pissed off because it was another bridge deal. Pissed off because it's not a team-friendly deal. And Chuck Fletcher can't get a team-friendly deal out of anybody. I haven't seen a single one yet. And it's like, okay. Like, why, how could you pay him that much money? That's too much money for Travis Konechny. It was like every, every single part of that tweet somebody had to be pissed off about. He it was remarkable. He first line. Yeah. He's going to score 30 goals this year. Like, what? I, I I wish I I would like. What them. do you think these players are worth? Should yeah. they just p- play for free and only get a paycheck when they score points? Yeah, that, like oh, I mean, in a lot of fans' eyes, yes, that's exactly what should happen. <laughs> this goddamn salary cap Here's is 85 ruining cents. my life. You got a secondary assist tonight. Like, I, be happy you're playing a game for a living. Yeah, I, I, like four and a half is reasonable. Like, it I seems reasonable. I and see I'm, nothing but reasonable there. And I'm okay with a bridge for him because we've talked about it before. Like he. There's a lot of question marks with him. Like, yeah, is he actually this good, or is he just a product of the line he's on? Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. He was. I mean, my preference going into the off season was that they bridge connect the and they sign Sanheim long term. I would have liked they, that. Obviously, yeah. they bridge Sanheim because they kind of ran out of cap space. But going into this cap space thing, that's part of the reason why bridging Konechny almost is necessary because you know you're kind of. I feel like you're kind of realistically budgeting at least seven million in cap space for you know for Proveroff. Mm-hmm. So you got thirteen mil in cap space now. So let's just say now you got six mil in cap space. You know, like what kind of long term deal are you going to get Konechny on? No, yeah, like yeah, what kind of long term deal makes sense? Like I don't, I don't know what he's worth. Like, what if this is just what he is? You know, and that's fine. He's a nice player. But if there's no like, what are we paying him? Yeah, five years from now, if like, that's it, just doesn't and, make sense. Yeah, and then we're complaining about him like we complain about Voracek, who's also actually good. Well, it was just Konechny's in this weird spot, and you you alluded to it, Kelly, where when he's played with really good players, he's been really good, and then when he plays with just okay players, he's kind of irrelevant. Like he skates around real fast and is fun, but he doesn't produce much. Right. So it's like okay. I guess the best move for the Flyers is just make sure he's always with really good players so he kicks ass. But is he the kind of guy who you can give a line to? I would say not yet. Can he develop into that? Maybe. But the guys so the guys who get the guys who the forwards who really get paid after their ELC, you know, at the, the age of connecting he's at. They're the they're the line drivers. Yeah. You know, they're the guys that get seven eight year deals. The guys like you know the Miko Rens, the Mitch Marners, those the known the, quantities. Yeah, like and you know what they are. Like the Travis Konechny's generally don't like because they're not line drivers yet. And the only way you pay a guy like that that kind of money, those kind of terms, is if you just think he's inevitably going to become that, and you're like, well, we can get a bargain on him by signing him to 
you know, $6 million a year over seven years because in two years he's going to be a $10 million a year player. And I'm not confident that in two years Travis Konechny is going to be a $10 million a year player. Like, I'm just, I, I just don't know. The funny thing is maybe his numbers might look like like they are because he's with Claude Drew and Sean Gattieri. And, thing, and like, I guess that's the risk. And th- and that's the thing. While, yes, he can put up those numbers, you're still going to have to pay those line drivers too because yeah. he yep. needs them. So, like, I... I, I I can't imagine being, and it hasn't happened yet. This is just Jason Martinez saying he's heard that this kind of thing is close. People mad at so a mad. four and a half million it just, for. I mean, number a, one, a I two year old yeah point producer. Well, number one, I trust Jason, but number two, like that term and and AAV, that makes sense to me. Yeah, that's it, about mm-hmm. like, that's about what I what I expect. If you were to ask me what I thought it was going to be, that's probably what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> like that. That contract should not have inspired, in my mind, like any emotion one way or the other. It should be like, all right, all yeah. right n- now okay. on the Provorov. Um, so that one. Are we trading him for w- Wierenski? Is oh, that, God. Is that what's no. happening? So, no. like, real talk, <laughs> am I the only one who's, like, preparing myself for him not to be signed when we get to camp? No, I, 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 I'm, I'm expecting it. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be point, signed. I mean, yeah. yeah, I don't think it's going to be done do you in the near future? I wonder if we get to the start of I don't know, man. I could see it. Man, I just like I didn't think we were gonna see too many more holdouts and it like everything is just so slotted because the salary cap is just so freaking low. Guys kinda just get what they get. Like, okay, this is what you get for so I but William Nylander. This one's confusing. And Nylander. He doing let it? them know, like, no, we actually have value yeah. and yeah. you're gonna have to pay me. And now they're and it's their all- only like that's the thing the restricted free agency. This is your only leverage yeah. is to not show up. Yep. Like, yeah. It's the only thing unless someone offers Shicha, It's the only thing you can do. Yeah, and I mean this whole thing is just it, everything stalled because no one wants to be the first person to sign. That, that that's really in a lot of ways, especially with this defense situation. That's what it boils down to because you got as we've talked about, you've got Proveroff, you've got Zach Wierenski in Columbus. And you got Charlie McAvoy in Boston, and whoever signs first is going to kind of set the market for the other two guys. And nobody wants to be the one who takes, you know, too little money. And then none of the teams want to be the one that forces everybody else to pay too much money. So everybody's just kind of stuck and waiting. And someone, someone's going to break. You know, wh- whether it's one of the players or whether it's one of the teams, someone's going to break. And. Yeah, the thing with the Flyers, this is this is the thing the, about the Proveroff situation is that, like, they have a lot organizationally riding on this team being better this year, and you just wonder, the closer it gets to the start of the season, like I don't know, like would the Flyers cave? Would they be the ones that cave? And that you know that might be the gamble that that Mark Gandler's Proveroff's agent and Proveroff are making is that you know they they fired everybody. Yep. They're, 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 they're all in on this idea. They signed Kevin Hayes with this massive contract. They rebuilt the defense. This is a team that wants to win now. And are they really going to go into the season with, I don't know, Travis Sanheim as their number one defenseman? And who as their he number three? Like, you know, like, all right, now we're bumping everyone up. We built this, def- we built this defense to be, like, I don't know what the pairs are going to be. but Yeah, yeah. We had a whole left-right thing yeah, going there, yeah. Niskanen, Sanheim, Braun, mm-hmm. I guess Ghost Myers. Yeah. That's, Ghost is still here, surprising to me. <laughs> I'm happy about it. I'm just surprised. I'm but, like, not. we built it to be this. Yeah, that's a I, – I are guess, they going to have yeah, to cave? I, I guess what I'm saying is that I understand why the Proveroff camp looks at this and thinks to themselves, they have the eventually they're going to cave. Yeah. Well, you see, Chuck Fletcher can't sign a team-friendly deal, so he's inevitably going to <laughs> it's overpay. It's great when it's like seven years, six and a half million, and everyone, <laughs> I can't, they're ripping them off! <laughs> what are they going to complain about then? But there, there will be something. Se- like seven, it's got to be like seven. seven would, and how and can half. it be more than seven? That's he's not good enough yet. He for shouldn't that. get more than seven, but I think he's going to precisely because what Charlie is saying. At some point, the Flyers are going to have like they can't let him sit out. I don't I, think they can let him. Sit yeah, out. I think there's a distinction to be made here. You know, because you guys had a really good discussion last week about the idea of like. The salary cap ruins everything because players actually deserve more, but they can't get it because there's just not enough money. And and someone like Mitch Marner absolutely qualifies. 
someone like Provorov, like I don't think this is a case of he deserves no, more. No, I like, don't think so. He legitimately did not play very well last year. So I don't think this is a case of like, well, if there was no salary cap, he'd be getting paid ten million dollars a year. But everybody in Philly's trying to stiff him. Like, no, we just kind of wanted to see him actually play well last year. I agree. And he didn't. Yeah, yeah, no, Kelly said it perfectly last week. Sorry, bud. You had a bad contract year. Yeah. That's what happens. You know, <laughs> like played you take better. a short-term deal. Like, yeah. If you want to get signed long-term to big money, play better. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like, that's that's all. I I want Provorov. We need a number one defenseman. Yeah. yeah. I want Provorov to be the number one defenseman. He needs to play like it to get paid like it. Yeah. 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 He didn't. I, and that's the thing. I don't think that he should get more than seven, but I think that he will just because the team has decided that he's the number one defenseman going forward and in order for them to get him to play they're going to have to give him more than he ought to get yeah i agree and with that's that. just I agree how it that. is yeah did you guys read the uh bill Me- this is the bill Meltzer show today uh did <laughs> bill, you hello. read the Meltzer articles on the um well, this was like on the this coach- was like a it was last month yeah i read ago. him yeah i read him this week oh, there you go uh, it, it's been catch it up i bookmark so many tweets it's impossible. And I never go back and like look at my bookmarks. I'm like, oh, I'll save that for. And like, no, why would I, when I'm looking for material, look at my bookmarks that have all the things I need in them? <laughs> uh, but I finally read them. I didn't realize like how connected um, Fletcher and Yo and uh, and Terry and all are, and like some Vigneault ties too. But it's weird. Like hockey, that's the thing that stood out to me in this three-part series that Meltzer wrote. It was like hockey is such a freaking small world. It's, like it is such a closed. Everybody club. knows everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's like they've all worked with each other, and you and work. you and you wonder why it's so hard for yeah. outsiders to get into this game. Yeah, yeah, no, it's like they have all worked on each other's staffs before. Like it was just really funny. But there's this one, uh, this one little piece uh, from the one on uh, on Mike Yo that I. I I think it's both funny and encouraging. Yay. The first part is funny, and then it's encouraging. Uh, while in Pittsburgh, Yo was considered something of a wonderkind who would eventually get an NHL head coaching opportunity. Partially, this reputation was built off of helping the Penguins turn around a struggle- struggling penalty kill. Ooh. Now, the first part of that is funny because we have the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> the struggling penalty kill thing... Man, that's something that really has to change. I'm extremely on board with your whole thing that a bad head coach had to be a good assistant. Yeah, that's coach. how he. That's how he. That's got how he the got look. the head yeah, coaching that's, job. That's like what so, happens. Yeah, happens in football a lot. Like it. it that's mm-hmm. just the way she goes. Uh, <laughs> during the 2005-06 season, the Penguins ranked 29th in the 30-team NHL in the penalty kill. One season later, as part of the team's breakthrough to the cup to, to cup contender status after five seasons of playing non-competitive hockey, Bill just getting his jabs in. Uh, <laughs> Pittsburgh jumped up 12 spots in the PK ranking and uh, in the p- penalty kill rankings and cracked the 80% success mark uh, for the first time in several years. From there, the club continued. Gradually to gradually progress, reaching a high water mark of eighty four point one percent in oh nine ten. Wouldn't that be nice? So Mike Yo is, I guess, a good penalty kill coach. Now they had a good goalie and uh, some good players, few of them, and that's what helps more than anything. But I can't believe that he's going to do a worse job than Lappy. I've never been particularly worried about the Mike Yo hire. It just to me, it was. You know, could it have been a more exciting hire? Yeah, and the fact that Mike Yo, especially in that final year in St. Louis, just did such a bad job Terrible. that Craig Berube was able to like <laughs> boost their their underlying numbers by like eight percentage points that, within two a, weeks after taking over the it, job. Like, I get it. It's optically terrible. I get it, <laughs> but I never looked at the Yo hire as anything more than like, okay, I, that's fine. Like, he's he's you know, he's an assistant. He's like, an assistant coach. Yeah. The the penalty kill probably was going to be better anyway because it wasn't being run by Ian LaPerriere and because they actually have hopefully a have a goalie now. So as long as he's not terrible, I would assume the penalty kill will be passable this year. It was for me. It was always the Terrian one that, that kind of was like, ooh, I hope, I hope that works. That's the there wasn't much. Um... There wasn't much interesting in the in the Tarian article, really, other than you know, like all these guys are friends. Like, yeah, that's that was. But the uh, in the Vigneault one, the to finish it out when it's just kind of his overall philosophies of running a team. There's a lot of like, well, we have a lot to sort out in camp. We're gonna have our coaches' meetings Tuesday after Labor Day, and that's when we really all come together collectively, like stuff like that. So it's not like they have a defined system or anything yet, but. 
the idea of the goalie workload. Now, I know we're not going to start. Like he says, I think the days uh, you see one goalie play 65 or 70 to 75 like Brodeur are over. Uh, yeah, obviously, I don't want to play Carter Hart or any goalie 65 times. But what do you guys think the workload's going to be? Because he kind of hints to it being very much a tandem. Which I think we anticipate it, right? Yeah. You think it's going to be 50-50? At, 50, least, 50? at no. least go. I think I think we should expect maybe like 60-40 heading into it. If Carter Hart turns out to be what we hope he is and he seems to be able to handle a bit of more workout, I think. I mean, we might see like maybe, I don't know, 75%, 25%. I think the way that Flesher described it after the, the L8 signing was that he envisions... He envisions it probably being something of like a 50-game, 30-game split. Yeah. And, and who gets the 50 games and who gets the 30 games will be dependent upon who's playing better. Seems like a solid strategy. Well, I can guarantee you one thing. Brian Elliott ain't playing 50 games. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he, very fair. he can't do more than like yeah. three in a row. Very so. uh, he, should, that's, he should never have to play games in a row. No, he that's really should abs- I don't care. I Even if he is playing great and kind of bumps himself into the 1A position, uh, I don't need him playing days in a row ever. No. I, back-to-backs especially, but I, oh, I just... Yeah, I don't see a, a reason or need for that. I, Yeah. All right. So that's all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Give us those good reviews. Five stars, thumbs up, all that stuff. Uh, my name is Bill Matz. For Kelly, for Charlie, have a great week, everybody.